0: Let's dive into some Old Testament passages today. Begin by going to Genesis chapter 2, where it all began. We're going to be looking at three points regarding the Sabbath today. We're going to be looking first at Sabbath rest, then we're going to be looking at Sabbath work, and then we're going to be looking at the Sabbath blessing. So Sabbath rest, Sabbath work, and Sabbath blessing to see what we can learn from the Old Testament and apply it to our lives. So first... We're going to be looking at the Sabbath rest, the rest that happened on the Sabbath day. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So the first time that we see this six days of work and one day of rest is very early on in scripture. The Sabbath principle is here in Genesis 2 as a creation principle. So we're looking at the idea of rest in this passage here. And in Genesis 2, it says that God rested. The word for rest here is the Hebrew word for Shabbat, which is the noun form is later translated as Sabbath. You can hear that in there. At its most basic meaning, it means to cease or to stop. However, when the word is used in context with the Sabbath principle, taking off one day in seven, it refers to a rest of celebration. So this is understandable when we look at who our God is. The omnipotent God, the all-powerful God, does not grow weary or faint. He did not rest because he needed to recoup his strength. For God has been in perpetual works or sustaining the universe since the creation was completed. Jesus said in John five seventeen, My Father is working until now, and I am working. So God went from creative work to sustaining work, and he never took a moment's break. For the moment that God stops working to hold all things together, everything disintegrates. So this rest is a rest of satisfaction, of celebration in the works of God himself. And while God did not command man to keep the Sabbath in this passage, here he is, as MacDonald states, he is describing the principle of one day of rest in seven. It's a creation of principle. Man ought to take one day of rest in seven. That is to say that God exemplifies for us the principle of resting and taking satisfaction in the works of God one day out of seven. It's not an anthropomorphism, painting God in a picture like a man where God is just identifying as resting so we can follow his example and stop working to rest physically. Rather, this is God sitting back, looking at the work that he had finished. He's admiring and celebrating the work of his hands. It's not just ceasing, but it's an active celebration of the works of his hands. So this rest is not a sitting down, unplugging your brain and doing something mindlessly. It's an active, thoughtful engagement in the work of God. And this idea of Celebration on the Sabbath, it develops as Scripture progresses. Flip over to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus 23 lists a bunch of feasts and celebrations that the Israelites were to observe. In Leviticus 23, 1, Moses introduces this chapter. He says, Leviticus 23, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying Speak to the people of Israel and say to them these are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations they are my appointed feasts And this chapter goes on to list several holy feasts or holy convocations to the Lord but before we get into one of those let's stop and just make sure we understand what this first these first couple verses are talking about so they are a holy they are to be holy convocations this word for holy back in genesis 2 god set the day aside he made it holy and this the root word for this word for holy can be traced back to a verb that means to cut to cut apart to separate something from the rest only it came to be realized in Scripture, it wasn't just merely separating two things, but something that you were going to make holy, you cut it apart from everything else, you set that thing right in the middle, and you pushed everything else aside. And that thing that was left was holy. It was set apart from everything else. And the term holy here it does not refer to an internal moral quality but it only indicates that the person or object that is being described has been consecrated to the Lord. It has been placed in a special relationship to His service. And they are therefore set apart from the common domain. The Hebrew word for convocations there, so it's holy, it's set apart from everything else, and it's also a convocation. This word for convocations, as it's translated in the ESV, just refers to a large assembly an appointed gathering. It's a holy assembly for the nation of Israel. The people are to gather together as a holy assembly. Then the text there also mentioned, these are my appointed feasts. Okay, so these were, uh, just think of a feast in your own home. To get a picture of a holy convocation like this, a, a celebratory feast, Turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, we get a picture of what this looked like when all of Israel gathered together for a celebration and a feast. Solomon wanted to build a temple to the Lord. David wanted to, but God told David, No, you have too much blood on your hands. Your son will build it for me. And so Solomon set out to build a temple to the Lord, and the celebration when he dedicates the temple gives us an idea of what it looked like when all Israel gathered together for a celebration. Second Chronicles chapter 7, and I'll begin in verse 4. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice, 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. It almost seems unimaginable. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. The priests stood at their posts, the Levites also at the instruments for music to the Lord that King David had made for giving thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. Whenever David offered praises by their ministry, opposite them the priests sounded trumpets, and all Israel stood. And Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord, For there he offered the burnt offering and the fat of the peace offerings because the bronze altar Solomon had made could not hold the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat. At that time, Solomon held the feast for seven days and all Israel with him, a very great assembly from Lebo to the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly for they had kept the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, He sent the people away to their homes, joyful and glad of heart for the prosperity that the Lord had granted to David and to Solomon and to Israel, his people. So this is what a feast, when all Israel gathered together, looked like. No doubt this was the most prominent one. I hardly believe that they regularly looked like this, but this was a magnificent feast of the people gathering together. The sacrifices that Solomon offered, those were not just all whole burnt offerings on the altar, but people ate part of those sacrifices. So that's how many animals it took to offer praises and worship to God all week long, as well as feed all Israel all week long. But the people had a feast, a joyous celebration with music and instruments for a week. And that is what one of these holy convocations and feasts was to look like all of Israel gathering together, praising and worshiping God, enjoying one another, enjoying the gifts that God had given them. That is a holy convocation, a holy feast. Now turn back with me briefly to Leviticus chapter 23, right where we left off. So the Lord says, keep all of these holy convocations and appointed feasts, And then in Leviticus 23, the first one that is listed after that is the Sabbath. Verse 3 says, The Lord tells Moses, Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So this is listed as one of these holy convocations. It's not particularly listed as a feast because the focus wasn't on the food, but the focus was on the solemn rest. This word for solemn rest is a related word to the word for Sabbath. It's a sabbaton in the Hebrew, and it's markedly different than the word translated as Sabbath inasmuch as it is observed to be observed strictly and to be celebrated in a special way. It should be understood as a Sabbath with special Sabbath celebrations. So what special celebrations might this refer to? Well, Deuteronomy 5, you don't have to turn there, but Deuteronomy 5, in in reiterating the law, the Ten Commandments, it indicates that the Sabbath was to be a special remembrance of worship, remembering their redemption from Egypt. Deuteronomy 5:12 says this, "Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. 6 days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant" And your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. And so one thing that was to be special on the Sabbath was they were to remember being set free from Israel. They were to remember being redeemed from slavery. And so, much like God resting after creation, He commands Israel to remember on the Sabbath their redemption. They are to remember, to celebrate God's work in redeeming them from Egypt. They were to worship Him accordingly. They are to celebrate that they were once slaves in Egypt, but they have been set free into a land of their own. They were to set one day aside to do this. It was a holy day set aside. Everything else was to be pushed aside for this purpose. So they, were to, they were to spend the Sabbath worshiping God, assembled together, worshiping Him for His creative works in general, but also His redeeming works in particular. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but this is quite different from the way I viewed. just as I had uh, maybe surface-level read Old Testament text regarding the Sabbath, This is not what I pictured. I pictured more people sitting at home doing nothing, no work whatsoever. But the rest of the Sabbath was commanded to be a celebration of the people gathered together to praise and worship Him, not just sit at home by themselves and do nothing. So that's what the Sabbath rest was. It was a gathering together of God's people to worship Him, not just to sit at home and do nothing. And that's a good transition place for our point number two is Sabbath work. What work was to be done on the Sabbath? Many of the texts we just read said no work was to be done. The misunderstanding here is understandable because of all the texts we just read of God talking about you must not do any work. Go to Exodus chapter 20. Let's look at the first command where God told them as he was enacting the covenant at Sinai very similar to the verses i read in deuteronomy though a bit more brief exodus 20 verse 8 is the fourth commandment god told israel remember the sabbath day to keep it holy six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is a sabbath to the lord your god on it you shall not do any work you or your son or your daughter your male servant to your female servant, your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. On the face of it, it's pretty clear. It says, don't do any work. You labor for six days. You don't do any work on the Sabbath, not your animals, not your servants, not your children. And to make this command for not working even stronger, look at Exodus 31. Flip over a couple pages to Exodus 31. God wants them to understand how seriously he takes breaking this command. Exodus 31, beginning in verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generation that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath holy because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So we see God takes very seriously breaking the Sabbath command. He gives the death penalty here, as a prescription for those who do not take seriously this Sabbath command, who work on the Sabbath. And this is exactly what happened in Numbers 15. If you want to flip over to Numbers 15 just to read this with me. Numbers 15, starting in verse 32. This is exactly what happened. There was a man who was put to death for working on the Sabbath. And I think as many of us read this passage, we're kind of shocked that God would command someone to be put to death for picking up some sticks. And we might even be in the category of questioning Moses here. And right after this is the instance of Korah's rebellion. And he says in chapter 16, verse 3, he says, Moses, you have gone too far. And what he's probably referring to is the passage we're going to read. They put to death someone who was not observing the Sabbath. Numbers 15, starting in verse 32. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, The man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord had commanded Moses. So this man, he was put to death for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Sticks, they're just a staple necessity to get a fire started in the home but it was a breach of the covenant that he had committed to, and therefore he deserved death. And so it is passages like this that make us think the Israelites just sat at home on the Sabbath and did nothing. They did as little as possible because if they went outside and picked up sticks, they might get stoned. But in reality, this was not the case. As we already read, people gathered together as a holy assembly on the Sabbath to worship. And there was actually a lot of work commanded by God to do on the Sabbath. And this is what Jesus referred to in the passage I read for our scripture reading, Matthew 12:5. Jesus said, "Have you not read that the law commanded the priests and the priests uh, profaned the Sabbath, and yet they were blameless?" And that is because the priests were in charge of facilitating and making worship happen in the tabernacle and later in the temple. When the tabernacle was built, God told the priests that they were to continually, in Deuteronomy 28, continually morning and evening to offer sacrifices. In Exodus 27, they were morning and evening to tend the lamps that were in the tabernacle. They were also to tend the altar of incense that was in the tabernacle morning and evening every day, and that would include Sabbath days. Alfred Edersheim notes that even on the Sabbath, the priests would attend to the temple just like any other day. It would begin by a priest cleaning the bowl that they would use to wash themselves with. They had to clean that to make sure it was clean for the day. They had to clean out the ashes from the altar and the blood from the altar from the previous day in order to prepare it for the day's worship services and the sacrifices. As I mentioned in Numbers 28, the priests were to have a morning and evening sacrifice every day, a whole burnt offering. And on top of that, when it was the Sabbath day, they were commanded to offer two more burnt offerings. Now, just so you understand the amount of work that this is, I just want to describe to you what a burnt offering, a whole burnt offering sacrifice entailed. The priests would have to attain an animal. An animal would have to be attained. Either the, the worshipers would bring one or the priest would attain one. And then the priest had to examine the animal and make sure it was without blemish and approved for sacrifice. Then the animal had to be killed. Now, for many of us in America and gun loving Colorado, it's pretty easy to kill an animal. You just take out your your pistol and you go out there to kill it. But that is not quite what they were doing here. They would have to take a knife and slaughter the animal by hand. I can't imagine that the Israelites had as sharp of knives as we have today to do it. It's not an easy thing to take the life of an animal. I had a friend who was visiting Africa and he was at a, in a, visiting a small tribe and the village wanted to do a feast. And so they were going to slaughter a goat and make a goat for this little village as a celebration for the missionaries who were there. And they offered my friend, or they gave my friend, the opportunity to kill the goat. Only he said what they gave him was the dullest knife imaginable and it was the hardest, most difficult task he'd ever done to kill this goat A very difficult process. The animal had to be killed. Another priest would catch some of the blood that came out of the goat and sprinkle it on the altar. And then the animal had to be skinned, had to divide up the, cut open the animal a certain way to skin him to get that off. And that was given to the priests to use later. But that's quite the process. I don't know if you've ever skinned an animal. It's quite the process. And then the animal had to be butchered. It had to be cut up in a certain way. It's a massive amount of work. I know I have a hard enough time uh, butchering one of those little, little chickens you buy at the grocery store that's already been cooked. That takes me about a half hour by itself. So I can't imagine how much time it would take to cut up by hand one of these goats butcher it in a certain way that god required for this burnt offering then the intestines had to be washed out sacrifice had to be totally clean before it was offered to god then the entire animal all the pieces were put up on the altar by the priest then another priest had to prepare and pour a drink offering out on this offering on the altar So the priests would do this once for the morning sacrifice, and then on the Sabbath, right after the morning sacrifice, they did this two more times. And then they did it again in the evening for the evening sacrifice. So this is a massive amount of work for the priests that God commanded them to do on the Sabbath. Edersheim also notes that Sabbath services in the time of Christ, they would start an hour later, than most than the other days to ensure that more people could come and the people would have to walk from all over jerusalem if you lived in jerusalem and you're coming on the Sabbath day you'd have to trek from uh, the bottom of the hill all the way up to the temple mound which was a good amount of work they would bring their offerings they would bring contributions for the temple with them and the levites would be tasked with singing songs They would sing the song of Moses following the Sabbath sacrifice. Again, we see the song of Moses, a song celebrating being set free from bondage in Egypt and God's power over the nations. So the Levites, not only were they sacrificing and and preparing sacrifices and doing all that hard work, but they were in charge of singing and keeping up the cleanliness of the temple. The possible massive amount of work on the feast days which could fall on the Sabbath, is also elaborated by Edersheim. He says of the temple festivals, he says, if the magnificent temple, and he's talking about the Temple mound in the time of Christ, if the magnificent temple could hold 210,000 worshipers, it's quite massive, I think it's something like five football fields large, if the magnificent temple could hold 210,000 worshipers, And if the liturgy, the music, and the rituals were equally gorgeous, we cannot wonder that it required multitudes of white-robed priests to properly discharge its ministry. Tradition has it that on the Day of Atonement, no less than 500 priests were wont to assist in the services. And on other feast days, he notes, that even much more would have been engaged to be able to handle all the festivities. So did God prohibit all work on the Sabbath? No, he most certainly did not. Other passages in Scripture, we don't have time to turn there, but they talk about how the work that God prohibited was common work. He set aside, God set aside the Sabbath as a ceasing of normal work for the celebration and worship of God, for his acts of creation, for his acts in redemption. All these passages The key is that God made the day holy. He set it apart. He separated it from everything else for a specific purpose. He told them it was a holy day to the Lord, for the Lord. It was a day to set apart for the worship of Yahweh and all of the work that it took to make that worship happen. It was not only approved of, but it was commanded. For the Sabbath, the Jews, they were called to assemble, to gather together for worship. That's why we see even in the the New Testament, the Jews gathering together in every place in a synagogue. If they weren't close enough to Jerusalem, they formed synagogues where they could gather together to hear God's word taught, to worship together wherever they were they tried to continue this practice to gather together and worship God on the Sabbath as a holy assembly. The command to do no work was a command to cease common work and to rejoice in the work that the Lord had done, to worship the Lord as his people gathered. And for the priests, this often meant more work than any other day. Sabbath days more than other days Could have been more work, but it was a joy to gather together with God's people to rejoice in their Creator and the redemption that God had purchased for them. And this ceasing from normal labor, it wasn't meant to be a legalistic burden that the Pharisees turned it into, it was meant to be a blessing. It was meant to be a sign of being set free from slavery in Egypt. God gave them this command right after they came out of Egypt, after they were working night and day, day after day, laboring under the slavery of the Pharaoh. This wasn't meant to be a legalistic burden. It was meant to be a reminder of the work that they had been enslaved to, that they could not be set free from on their own. It was a day of blessing, a day of celebration. And that brings us to the third and final point, the Sabbath blessing. The Sabbath blessing. So the rest that is to be done is a rest of celebration. The work that is to be done is any work that facilitates that worship. And then the blessing of the Sabbath. In Genesis 2, 3 and Exodus 20, 11, it says that God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. He blessed the seventh day. This isn't... This is not an empty blessing like when someone sneezes and we say, bless you. That is an utterly empty blessing. This is not an empty blessing. When God is the subject, this verb means to endue someone with special powers, someone or something with special powers. God's blessing is not an empty pronouncement or simply an expression of wish or goodwill. Rather, the blessing of God has content. It actualizes and enables. C. Westerman notes, and I quote, "...the blessing that confers the power of fertility is inseparable from creation, where the Creator is the one who blesses, and the created living being has the power to reproduce itself because of the blessing." So when God blessed mankind and all the animals and He said, He blessed them and He said, be fruitful and multiply, it infers that they were only able to multiply because He had blessed them with the power to do so. It is an actual effective blessing. But it is one that requires participation. For even if God gives the power to multiply, multiply, It still takes a male and a female to act in order for that blessing to be actualized and realized and received. So it required participation. The Jews were very familiar with the fact that if you didn't participate in the sanctified activities and the sanctified days, then you wouldn't receive the conferred blessing of sanctification. In Numbers 9, we see that there are some people who are unclean because of touching a dead body And they can't participate in the Passover ceremonies. And so the Lord makes provision for them to do it the following month, because if they don't participate in this practice, in faith, of course, if they don't participate in this practice, then they are still in their sin, God told Moses. So, in other words, if they don't participate in the sanctified ceremony, then they aren't sanctified and cleansed of sin. The blessing of participating in the, these feasts and these ceremonies is actualizing it, realizing the blessing that they are. And for the uh, Day of Atonement, for the Passover, this was being cleansed of sin. So when we are thinking of the blessing of the Sabbath... Those who didn't participate in the Sabbath, they missed out on the blessing. It's an actual blessing that you can be blessed with or you can miss out on based on your participation. What is the blessing, though? Well, I think if we return to look at the biblical understanding of rest, we can infer what this blessing might be. One commentator notes, he says, "'What is the biblical understanding of rest?' "'It is the rest of faith, "'a life of trust, belief, and obedience in God, "'in whom is eternal. "'In him whom is eternal, there is permanence. "'In him who has no rival, there is security. "'In him who made us in his own image, there is freedom.'" In him who combines complete power, complete holiness, and complete love, there is tranquility. And those who know these things can silence their fears and anxieties before him, just as he silences the raging seas. So putting it in context of Genesis chapter 2, in him who is all-powerful, who has all control over the universe is one who stops to worship him to take one day in seven it will produce in such a one a trust that stills his fears the beneficent results of worshiping God is that he who worships him for who he is receives the blessing of a stilled soul an unburdened soul for those who practice this rest, it's a calming of one's heart to trust in God. The burdens lifted, it's blessed by Him. So, what do we take from this? And that brings us to briefly, you could call it a fourth point, and that is Sabbath application. How do we as Christians apply this? I don't think there's necessarily a, a one-to-one correlation between the Sabbath in the Old Covenant and the Lord's Day in the New Testament. I think there's continuity there, but I also think there's some discontinuity there. And so I think we have to think more deeply about these things, and that's what I hope to spend a good amount of time doing next week in Genesis 2. We can consider our hearts toward God in the time that we do set aside to worship Him. Do you see this one day a week that you set aside to worship God? Do you see that as a drudgery? Do you feel compelled as something you must do out of obedience, but your heart's not really in it? It's not a joyful celebration of your soul? Listen, for the one whose heart is right with God, this day is a festival for the soul, it's a holiday for the heart. It is an oasis in a world gone mad. It is not simply a time for you to take a break and unplug and do nothing. It is a time for the soul to be refreshed and strengthened. Do you go away from here as the people did when they went away from that week-long celebration at the temple? Solomon sent them away joyful and and rejoicing in their hearts for all that God had done for them. Would you feel the same way about having church seven days a week? And at the end of that, you would go away rejoicing and having a full heart? Or would you look at having seven days of church as a drudgery and something you dreaded? How do you see your time spent here? How do you go away from your time spent here? If you don't walk away from this service or from your time worshiping God one day out of seven you need to examine your heart perhaps there's unconfessed sin that is begging at your conscience every time you come to church maybe you aren't a believer maybe you really just don't even care about coming here you're, you're here because your parents make you come here You're here because it makes you feel good about the rest of the week, but you're just getting through it. Some therapeutic deism for you. Listen, if that's you, you need to seriously examine your heart. Because for those of us who have been forgiven, it is a lifting of the burdens every week to come here. It is a rejoicing time as we remember that we are sinners. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We were hopeless. And yet Christ came to save us. The high King of heaven stepped off of His throne to come down to live among us. And He died a horrible death on the cross so that we might be able to gather and celebrate on this day. So friend, if that is not you, if you do not rejoice in that, that the Lord has come to set you free from sin, if you love your sin, that ends in death and eternal punishment. The few years you have on this earth is it. What you find enjoyment in this life, that's it for you. Fleeting, it is but a breath. You need to forsake this temporary joy you find in sin. You need to turn from your sin and put your faith and your trust in Christ and what He has done on the cross to pay the penalty that you deserve. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't think you have more time. But repent of your sin and believe in Christ. You don't want to miss out not only on this day, not only celebrating God for the rest of your life, but you don't want to miss out on the eternal celebration of God in heaven. It is going to be the greatest celebration day in and day out that you could ever imagine. Don't reject that for your momentary pleasure of sin. Believe in Him. We can also apply what we have observed about the work that's done on the Sabbath. Days of worship are a lot of work. It takes a multitude of people to pull it off. Many of you, you had some gatherings together to prepare for ministry today. I know if if you're preaching on Sunday, especially Travis, when he's preaching on Sunday and he's preaching on Sunday night, it is the busiest day of the week. So, if you go home tonight exhausted, know that all of your hard work that you did to pull off this day of worship, it was all, even in the Old Testament, it was all part of that blessed work of the Sabbath. You don't have to wor- worry about missing out on that Sabbath blessing if you're working here in this place promoting the worship of God, because God is going to bless you for all of your work that you did to facilitate His, the worship of Him on His day. And just because you don't get physical rest much of the day, you can rest assured that your work of service here is very similar to that of the priests in the Old Testament, work that God blesses. And that brings me to final point of application concerning the blessing of the Sabbath God instituted the pattern of the Sabbath in creation. Six days of work, one day of rest to worship him. And in Genesis chapter 2, I don't see a, a command, but I do see a blessing for those who participate. It's not a command, but it's a pattern set forth from our God at the beginning of creation. He wanted to give Adam and Eve a pattern to order their lives after. That pattern was six days you do your work and one day you set it aside to worship me. And so we can look at that Sabbath principle in Genesis and apply that to our own lives. If we want to be blessed by God, then we work six days in our common work and set aside to one day to worship God. Six days to work, one day to rest, to worship God. But if you don't stop, if you don't cease your common work, if you don't put down the phone, if you don't put down the iPad, if you don't stop running your kids from one thing to the next, if you don't take one day in seven to stop, to take the focus off of yourself and put it on the magnificent Creator and Redeemer, then you will no more receive the blessing of a soul at rest than a celibate person would receive the blessing of a child. If you do not stop one day in seven to worship God, you will not receive his blessing of a soul at rest. So, as a principle, order your life after Genesis 3, after God had set the pattern... To work six days and to spend one day devoted to Him, worshiping Him. And so receive the blessing of this day that we have today by continuing this celebration. When you get done here, don't go home to take a nap. When you get done here, invite someone out to lunch. Continue this celebration of God, of being redeemed. If you are redeemed, you have plenty to celebrate. Don't just go away from here going back saying, I have to go home and rest. Continue this celebration and go rejoice with one another over lunch. Talk about how the Lord has saved you. Remembering his creation, remembering his redemption in your life. And then next week we'll come back and talk more about how this directly applies to us as New Covenant believers. And so now I want to just turn our attention to the Lord's table here. The Sabbath was a sign. It was a sign of the covenant. And in the New Testament... The Lord Jesus Christ has given us a sign for our covenant to remember our redemption. Just as the Sabbath was a sign for them to remember their redemption, we have a sign to remember our redemption. And it is in the Lord's table. So let me close us in prayer as we begin to prepare our hearts for that. Our Heavenly Father, we confess that we have not, maybe out of ignorance Maybe out of rebellion, uh, we have not observed the principle you set forth to set aside time to worship you. We have not set you apart as holy in our own hearts, Lord. We have spent every day thinking of ourselves, focusing on ourselves, and caring nothing for your kingdom. We confess those things to you, Lord, this morning, knowing that you, those who confess their sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to wash our sins away, to cleanse us of our sins as far as the east is from the west because of what Christ has done on the cross. We know we find full pardon in you for all of our sins. Lord, I ask that we make every effort to order our lives, orient our lives to worship you appropriately, Lord. Help us to devote our days to you, to glorify you in all that we do, and try to order our lives as you have have described for us in Genesis. Lord, prepare our hearts as we remember what you have done for us in shedding your blood for us. In Jesus' name, amen.